Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Mara, it was just last week that we were talking about Bold and Beautiful returning to production, which they now have. And now comes word that Young and the Restless is looking to follow suit and eyeing an early July return, which, of course, is great news. Now, we haven't heard any specific details, like will they use the actor's spouses or what have you. So I'm definitely looking forward to that information being released. And also to see what the shows have planned. I mean, if you think about it, they've really had time that they never would have had to think about future story and look at the canvas away from like the daily churn it out directive. So it'll be interesting to see if it yields any shifts on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And another question I'm interested in uh, is is whether the shows the shows will choose to acknowledge that we're like living through a pandemic. You know, I think we we touched on that before in a podcast as sort of a lingering question. Uh, but earlier this week, I read a story in the New York Times about the British soap opera Coronation Street, which was uh, introduced in 1960 and typically airs six days a week. But that got rationed down to three days a week when production uh, halted as Britain went into lockdown back in March. But that show has just started filming again, and the show's writers will be incorporating the new reality of COVID into the show, not necessarily as a major storyline point, but in part to explain why some of the actors who are like older and at higher risk are not on the screen anymore. So within Coronation Street, they will be quarantining away from their relatives. And I do think like several shows are really well positioned to touch on this issue in a potentially poignant way, like most obviously General Hospital, because it's set in a hospital with key characters who are frontline workers. Um, But also Sonny's dad, Mike, is in a nursing home. And like, what would it do to Sonny if not only was he worried about his father contracting the virus, but like wasn't allowed to see him as a result of it? At the same time, I don't know that that's the kind of change in direction that most fans are rooting for. Like, it's always a fine line for writers to strike between too realistic, which can be a code word for depressing, and too unrealistic, which can be a code word for, like, I guess, camp. I mean, I could totally see where it does present some storyline opportunity, but like I personally have zero interest in hearing about COVID on the soaps. I mean, we have lived with it for months. 
I want the soaps to be an escape. You know, give me some romance, some adventure, some good drama separate from a pandemic. (laughs) And I actually have seen emails from readers who feel the same way, but I would totally understand if the shows wanted to address it, but it is just a hard pass for me. Plus, you know, like Salem and Port Charles aren't real places. So like they don't even need to have it. Right, right. You know, a kid kind of. Um, (laughs) But speaking of days, they're kicking off. It's four weddings at a funeral month. The first couple to head down the aisle is Lonnie and Eli. And we're going to see some fun returns for it, including, as we've previously mentioned, Louise Sorrell as Vivian, as well as Eli's mom, Valerie, played by Vanessa Williams. Eli's FBI mentor, Billy, played by Billy Davis Jr., and Billy's real-life wife, Marilyn McCoo, who plays Lonnie's mother, she'll reprise the role of Tamara. We have a big preview of this wedding in the new issue. We also have a story with Daisy's Judy Evans. I spoke to her a couple of weeks ago after she was released from the hospital following a fall from her horse, and she contracted COVID in the hospital. Um, It was a very long journey for her. She was understandably emotional in retelling it. But it was so nice to hear her voice and hear that she's on the mend. Uh, The story that you were with her truly brought me to tears. You know, Judy is such a beloved figure, not only to fans, but to her castmates as well. I mean, I think we got a good sense of that when we spoke to Stephen Nichols a few podcasts back and he got choked up talking about everything she's been through. Um, And it also brought a smile to my face that Judy said that Wally Kurth has been checking in on her daily saying, how's my girl? I mean, how sweet is that? I have an interview in the new issue with someone who is clearly itching to get back to work and eager to resume filming again, Nancy Legrand, who plays Alexis uh, on GH, who said what she has learned from these months off, which is her longest break from work since she joined GH back in 1996, including her maternity leave, is that she is never going to retire. (laughs) The free time is not agreeing with her. Well... It is certainly welcome news that she plans on going nowhere. Um, Also welcome news is that the 47th annual Daytime Emmys are airing tonight on CBS. Uh, So we will be for sure discussing the show and the winners next week. But I spoke with four of the nominated actors from Days of Our Lives for a new show on the Dual app called Inside the Hourglass. And you know I am a big fan of the Dual app. So for anyone who hasn't downloaded it, I highly recommend. So speaking of the daytime Emmys, I'm very excited about our guest today. It's a true daytime legend, Kim Zimmer, who had a few soap roles, but is definitely best known for her portrayal of Guiding Light's Reva Shane, which I know holds a lot of memories for both of us. Absolutely. I, you know, I actually started watching Guiding Light because I had read of her imminent exit from the show in Soap Opera Digest, and I wanted to make sure I got to like absorb some of her performance before she stopped airing, and I got totally hooked on the show. And as you know, I became particularly invested in the storyline of her widower, Josh, and his devastation over her death. Oh, I do. uh, You know, you fast forward five years, turns out she's not dead. She's Amish and amnesiac and had many more adventures (laughs) uh, still left in her, including a clone and time travel. She truly has done it all in daytime. And I love that we're talking to her as the daytime Emmy Awards are set to air uh, because no big deal. She only has four daytime Emmys as Outstanding Lead Actress. I mean, an amazing feat in itself. Absolutely. So let's check in with Kim and see what she has been up to. Hi, Kim. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Long time no talk. I know. Mara and I have been so excited to talk to you, and we're so happy you were able to join us today. Well, thank you. I'm glad it all worked out. I'm, I'm kind of an idiot when it comes to all this technology stuff, so... <laughs> 
so I'm, glad, I'm glad my husband was here. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, tell us how you've been doing over the last few months during our stay-at-home orders. Well, you know, I'm I'm kind of a homebody anyway, so I, it's been fine. It's been really okay for me. Um, my husband and I got got separated, however, because we were both out in Taos, New Mexico. We have a place out there and we spend our winters in New Mexico. So I came back to help my daughter out uh, with her son on March 6th. I flew back to New Jersey and then I was going to fly back back to New Mexico April 6th and drive back with my husband and my dog. And then all, you know, the, you know, what hit the fan. And so I got stuck here and he got stuck in New Mexico. So we were apart for, gosh, the longest we've been apart since the eighties, I swear to God. Wow. So yeah. So it was, uh, even when I was on tour with Wicked, it was, he would fly and come and see me. So this was the longest we'd been apart, but at least I had control of the remote on the TV though. That was kind of nice. <laughs> that is definitely a win. Yes. Way to find the silver lining. <laughs> yeah. So I got to catch up. I've always wanted to watch. I mean, my, my um, guilty obsession right now is Outlander. I never watched it the first time around. I'm a big Outlander fan. Yeah. So <laughs> I've been, I've been binging that and, and uh, so it, it was all good. And of course I have my daughter five minutes away from me and I got to go and, you know, play with my son between a glass door. <laughs> I'm not my son, my grandson, I should say. <laughs> so, you know, but now everything's eased up a little here. So I actually get to go over and play with him. Um, and we swim in the pool and everything's good now. I mean, it's, it's, it's starting to ease up. I'm still, I'm still a freak about um, hygiene and masks and, you know, being ultra, ultra careful. So mm -hmm. good. Well, we are excited to do like a deep dive into your amazing daytime career, Kim. Uh -oh. uh, so <laughs> so you, you made your uh, soap debut in 1978 playing Bonnie Harmon on One Life to Live. But what had you been doing prior? Like what was life like right before soaps entered the picture for Kim Zimmer? I was busy doing a lot of theater. I, um, I started my, I guess you could say my professional career in Chicago. And I was doing a lot of theater in Chicago, dinner theater and regular theater. And I was doing a lot of live industrial shows, which incredibly, I, I did a couple with Nancy Gron. That's how we first met was wow. in Chicago. <laughs> That's so cool. yeah, the two of us were singers and dancers. We're, we were triple threats. We like to think of ourselves. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, we, we toured the country with a couple of live industrial shows and, uh, and that was really it until I got the, I got the call. I actually, my very first thing I did was just an under five on guiding light. Oddly enough, I played Roger Thorpe's, uh, secretary in the outer room, you know, and I had maybe I had five lines or something, but that was really my first gig. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think I had a name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like in any playbill, it would say 
you know, roll on guiding light before you got exactly. Levi, I imagine, yeah. of course, because people do that even if they were extras or supporting players. They always say, "I was on guiding light," or "I was on one like to live." I know. I get letters all the time from fans. who are like, "Oh, I, I was looking at a playbill, and someone so said they were on astral turns. Who are they?" And I'm thinking, I have no idea. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, what stands out about your one life to live experience at the time? You mean back in the day? Back I mean, before day, my not yeah. Echo, yeah. Before back, Echo, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. I was Bonnie Harmer first. Oh, she was kind of like, they patterned her off of uh, Patty Hearst, kind of, in the day. And uh, that, uh, I don't remember her <laughs> a whole lot, because that was a long time ago. But I do remember that it was it was great fun, and it gave me the... Um, the impetus to move to New York City. My husband, my husband, my boyfriend at the time, AC was already living in New York. And I always said that I wouldn't uh, move to New York unless I had a job. And um, this job lasted, I don't know how, I think I was on it for three, like three months or something. And that was, that was great. And that, and that, that I came, I moved to New York and AC and I moved in together and that was the beginning of it all, you know, and then, and then that lasted, like I said, I think three months, I'm not even sure. And then I had this, I, I hear I'm auditioning for soap operas and I don't, that was the last thing I ever wanted to do in my life, you know, because I oh, went wow. to a professional school of acting and we uh-huh. don't do commercials or soap operas. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So then, so then I, then my next was I auditioned for, um, uh, well, the doctors and that, so- as they say, is that <laughs> so in 1979 when you joined the doctors as nola you were replacing or succeeding uh, kathleen turner mm-hmm. in the role uh and you were there for about three years so tell us about your experience on on the doctors and i'd certainly love to hear a memory of working with uh, alec baldwin <laughs> i I tell this story a lot and I, and, and because I love it so much. Um, I remember the day Alec came in to audition for Billy, Billy Aldrich and all the girls we'd, you know, we'd seen him in the hallways and, and we'd seen other guys too, but Alec was just, the minute he opened his mouth, we were all like, Oh my God, who is this guy? (laughs) And so we were all done working, but we all stayed and watched his audition and we were all like, you've got to hire this guy. You've got to hire this guy. And I had no idea that I would end up working with him as closely as I did. And uh, he, he, beca- he became, you know, one of my best friends. I mean, um, it, it, between him and, and um, oh, God, there were so many. Uh, Jada Rowland became a, a very good friend of mine. Um, you know, I just, and, and my family on that show, Frank Telfer and Larry Weber and Aunt Terry O'Quinn was my brother. I mean, we wow. had a, we had a, we had a really great family on the show and we were very, uh, very close, um, uh, not just as a family on the show, but as, as friends and actors as well. And it just, it was, it was the greatest of times being at, uh, Rockefeller Center, you know, and at NBC, um, because they were shooting Saturday Night Live, you know, and, and it was exciting because we had to be done at three o'clock in the afternoon because we lost all of our, our taping equipment to the news. Um, so if we weren't done, they came and they took the, they wheeled the cameras away. I mean, that was it. They, you know, it was, it was, the the news was more important than we were. (laughs) So so every day at three o'clock, you know, we, we, 
be wrapped in down at Hurley's, this wonderful little bar that was right downstairs. <laughs> and, and we'd, you know, we'd sit around and, and have happy hour and then everybody would go to their prospective homes and we'd start it all over the next day. And it was, it was great. You know, it was my first experience, really heavy duty experience with television. And I, I worked very hard on that show. And, and also we, we filmed it as if it was almost live. Um, they just took the commercial slugs. So they would count down, like if it was a 30 second commercial or a 60 second commercial. And, um, if you didn't have the last line in the scene, your camera would move away and go to the next set. And it was very, it was like filming a live theater, a a play. Um, and then you'd see the lights on the next set where the cameras were going next would all of a sudden come up. And, and, oh, I mean, it was just, it was so exciting. And I knew everybody's because I was scared to death that we were going to have to, they would threaten us and say, every time you, you, you stop tape, it costs us $1,500 to edit the tape, which was true because they literally had to cut and paste the tape then too. So, I mean, it was exciting. Those were exciting times. You know, we had, we had cue cards and I didn't know how to use those. That's why I knew everybody's lines. Every time I tried to get a line off a cue card, I would lose my train of thought and it was a disaster. So I just (laughs) ignored my fourth wall really thick. (laughs) Those were great days. Those were great days. Um, now then in 83, you were back in daytime on one life in a new role, Echo, who steamed it up with Clint. So yes. what, what stands out to you about your stint as Echo? Oh my God. Those, those Buchanan boys. Oh my God. <laughs> working, working with those Buchanan boys. Oh my God. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy men, Phil Carey and Clint Ritchie and, and Bobby Woods. And, um, they were so, they were so much fun to work with. And, that set was a crazy set. You know, it was, that was a tougher, that was a tough set. It, it was an, and plus it was an hour, it was an hour long. So the days were longer, but it, but I still had, and, and Bobby Gentry played my brother on that show and Robert Gentry. And he was, we had so much fun with that as well. And unfortunately that was, that was a, that, that role was supposed to be, I think I signed like a, a three year, two year contract. And they wrapped up the story so quickly because the the fans were were starving for for more of that story. This is what I've been told that they just they clamored for more, and they the two years worth of story they they finished in I think I was done in six months. You know, it was, yeah. So that was unfortunate. You know? <laughs> I thought I had two years of employment, and it turned out I you know it was uh it was only 6 months but they they were great 6 months and i have lots of memories of course working with erica slazak and um uh jackie courtney um so many so many wonderful wonderful actors in those days too i've it's learned crazy. a lot on that show it's crazy to think kim if you had stayed there for 2 years that would have missed the window to become reva shane that's you know, every- right So how much is this about fate? I know. I mean, it was, it was, it was destiny that it should happen because literally that, that wouldn't have happened. And so we left, we left, that left a kind of a bad taste in my mouth, that whole experience. Mm -hmm. So we moved back, we went to California and Rachel was just a baby. She was like a year, a year, not maybe a year and a half old, two years old when we moved to California. And, um, 
we were there, I think, for a year. And then um, this, my agents called about this role on, on Guiding Light and said, you know, and I said, no, no more soaps. I'm done with soaps. You know, <laughs> I, I, it just, I, that was an awful experience. And not the work, but just, the, <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole contracts, ah, contracts, contracts, you know. But they said, let me just send you the sides and the character description. And they did. And I fell in love with that. And then, you know, meeting, meeting Betty Ray, who was the casting director at Guiding Light, they flew me to New York and I auditioned and to make a very long story short. And I was not their first choice. Um, Pam Long had, had two other girls that she really wanted, one of which was a really good friend of hers. And she really had kind of, I think, created this role for this actress. And, um, and Betty Ray just pushed me down her throat and, you know, what a, what a dream come true for, for a writer and an actress to create such a, um, you know, a legendary character. If you, if I could be so bold. Uh, I, I think you've earned, uh, there's nothing bold. It's just, it's just <laughs> empirical truth. Well, so, you know, it was, it was that, that, uh, partnership was, it, it it was wonderful. And it was, you know, we were like sister. I mean, we would fight cats and dogs sometimes too, but, um, at, at the end, when all was said and done, the respect that we had for each other was, uh, immeasurable. So when you think back on the, those very early years of, of Reva, where she just came in like a wrecking ball to Springfield, uh, <laughs> why do you think Reva caught fire with the audience, uh, the way that she did? Well, it's kind of a cliche thing to say, but I think it's because she was one of those characters that everybody loved to hate. I mean, she got away with stuff that I think women and men at the time dreamed of being able to do, you know, um, tell it like it is. Um, and she wore her heart on her sleeve. She was honest and pushy and sexy and and lovable and she just was one of those characters, you know, that, that you can't ignore. She was a force to be reckoned with. And that's, that's, uh, that, that was a once in a lifetime kind of situation I had with Guiding Light. Mm -hmm. Well, to that end, how did your life change when Reva became just so popular and you were carrying so much story? Well, you know, I, I love that. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was miserable when, when I didn't have story and I was working and I was still working, you know, and, and doing party scenes and, and supporting story. I, I love to support story as well, but I, I, I was the happiest when I had 90 pages of dialogue a day. I mean, that was, uh, that was that was what kind of ruined it for me for nighttime television. Whenever I I did a nighttime show or a movie, you would do six pages of dialogue a day. I would be bored out of my mind and I, twiddling my thumbs and wondering how do people do this. But to have to have forty to to sixty pages of dialogue a day was was the challenge. It is what kept me interested in the job. I mean, that was the challenge for me. Was um, how to make it all smell like roses, you know? Well, Riva uh, infamously spent the 1980s marrying her way through the Lewis family. <laughs> and uh, we want to get your take on those fellas that you worked with. So first, tell us about working with the late Larry Gates, who played HB. Oh, my God. Larry was, I mean, I don't know if you've watched any of our, our Zooms uh, that we've oh, done yeah. with Alan mm -hmm. Locker. 
But Larry's name comes up in every single Zoom conversation as well it should because Larry was, you know, he wasn't one of these actors who tried to teach young people and show them the way. He just, he would just, all you had to do was watch him. And and watch how he how he treated other actors and and just loved the craft, loved playing um, H. B. Lewis, just um, loved people, loved actors, loved directors, loved the crew. He was he was just the 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 best. Per- never in a bad mood. And if he was, it it was funny. You know, it was we would laugh at him, and he we'd get him, we'd crack him up, and he'd. He'd get out of it, and and um, losing him was was a real. That was like losing a losing a limb when when Larry passed, and that was that was a tough one to deal with. But oh, he was he was. We had, I mean, I've talked about this before too. Larry was battling a, a prostate cancer, and and when he'd laugh too hard, he'd pee his pants. <laughs> Larry, yeah, I've told this story before and you haven't struck me dead yet. So, um, and, and then when I was, after I'd had uh, children, I would laugh and I'd pee my pants. So the two of us, between the two of us, we, we should, we should have had stock and pampers. It was, it was hysterical. <laughs> so we, we had fun. Uh, what about Larkin Malloy, who played Kyle? Oh, Larkin, that that was, he was just uh, the, the romantic one. You know, Larkin could, could just melt you. Um, I, I loved the fantasies that Reva and, and Kyle used to have. And I loved how Pam, Pamela Long ripped off all these movies. Witness, we did that Witness story and... <laughs> And I loved the Amish farmhouse with Larkin and we crash landed out of an airplane through the barn of this Amish farmhouse. And I mean, Larkin was Larkin, um, Larkin could, Larkin was tough. You know, he, he, he really wanted, he was a ultra professional. He wanted things, you know, perfect. And, uh, that was not how I worked. So, you know, we, we clashed a lot as well, but, um, he, he just, when it came to doing a, a romantic story that that he was the best um that that romance that Kyle and Reva had i know a lot of the fans were hated him because it was getting in the way of Josh and Reva but um he uh he was he was romance at its best and what about uh, Jordan Clark who played Billy oh jordan was jordan jordan was like the the bad little boy in school who always got sent to the cor- the corner Um, he, he was a prankster and he would, he would do things that amazed me. I mean, he would be, he'd come to this, he'd, he'd do the, his morning rehearsal and then he'd go to his dressing room and, and fall asleep for, you know, four hours before he had to work. And he never knew, he never knew his lines when he came in in the morning, but the minute he walked, it's the same with Justin Dees. The minute he walked on set, he never never blew a line, never didn't know a line. Um, he was amazing to watch work. And he was also that character. He, he in, embodied that, that character of Billy Lewis. And, and I, I, I love that. I, you know, I used to hit him all the time 
because he's so, he was so big, you know, we'd laugh about something and I'd hit him and he'd go, you keep hitting me like that little lady. I'm going to hit you back. You know, and just <laughs> stuff like that. And he, t- he was, we, we actually were very good friends too. When, um, Rachel was a little girl, we used to go, they had a place in fire Island. We went out there and spent a weekend with he and Valerie his his wife. And, um, he was a good friend. He is a good friend. I mean, I haven't talked to him in ages, so I don't, I don't, I keep asking people if anybody's spoken to him and I don't know if anybody has. So he's, he's a mystery to us. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course you mentioned Josh. So what about Robert Newman? (laughs) Well, I, I kiddingly say that uh, working with Robert is like putting on an old stinky shoe. You know, you should throw him away. But you just can't. Because, <laughs> you just can't because they're your favorite and they're the most comfortable. Well, that was that's that's probably the biggest um, compliment I can out of many that I can give Robert was that um, we we just uh, we 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 were meant to work together. I mean, we uh, we we knew how to breathe for each other. Um, I I. I never was afraid of anything working with Robert. Uh, we took care of each other. We would fight too. I mean, we had, we had some good uh, knockdown drag outs, but um, mostly it, it, he just is so gentle and caring and, and loving. And you know, we've worked a lot since Guiding Light. We've done some fabulous uh, plays together and, and wonderful uh, uh takeaways from Josh and Reva. We played George and Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. We played um, uh, 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 Lion in Winter. Um, uh, and we, we've just done some wonderful work together since we, since we left Guiding Light. So I'm hoping that we'll continue to do that if the theaters ever open up again. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. us too. And he's a really good. And he's he. I I used to always laugh and say that Larry Gates was the best kisser of all of them. But <laughs> but of course Robert was. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody always wants to know that. Yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, one of Reva's signature moments, of course, took place in 1984 when she stripped down to her lacy skivvies in the fountain of the country club and declared herself the slut of Springfield. What are your memories? We asked Robert this too, but what are your memories of that day on the set? I, you know, I was, I was nervous because I knew that we, we had to do it in one take because otherwise we'd be there all night having to, I think they only had one Teddy and, and there were a lot of people that were involved that, that weren't actually in that scene, but because there was this big party scene going on. Um, and, and I was always, I was always aware of, of keeping people waiting. I never liked to do that. I usually tried to get things done in one take and unless it wasn't right, but, um, that, that was an intense day. And of course the wonderful Bruce Berry directed, directed those scenes and he took great care. Um, I, I remember, I, I remember that, when that, it's the first time that it ever happened to me, um, on a soap and it happened to me on stage before, but the first time it ever happened to me on a soap was when that scene was done and Robert was sitting there in the wheelchair and they said, they said, okay, cut. I was in a zone that I've, I've never experienced before where I, I thought it was real. I thought that it had really happened. I lost myself in that, in that fountain, in that scene. 
And it wasn't until Sue Sacavino, who was my makeup lady at the time, came over to me and said that was that was unbelievable and and kind of got me got me out, you know, brought me a towel and kind of got me out of this, you know, this fog that I was in. And and that it was it was such a wonderful feeling of escaping into a, a character like that. And I know Meryl Streep talks about it happening to her all the time, but that was the only time it's ever happened to me. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm glad I got to experience it once. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but that was, that was a, that was a great day. I used to, I used to laugh and say that um, the minute I jumped into that fountain, a, a, a goldfish swam up my teddy. That didn't really happen. <laughs> but Makes I like, for a good story, though. Exactly. I made, I made people for years think that that was a true story. <laughs> um, well, another standout from Josh and Riva's story was the beautiful 1989 wedding, which was shot on location in Pennsylvania, which mm. stood in for Cross Creek. Yes. So what do you remember about that taping experience? I remember that, that me and, again, my makeup lady, uh, oh, at that, oh, it was still Sue Sacavino. Um, I found out that I was pregnant with with Max, Aww. and I was supposed to ride a horse and and do all this stuff. And 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 Sue was like, "You got to tell, you got to tell him," because I wasn't ready. I was early. It was I was still really early in my pregnancy because Max was born in March of 1990. So um, I was just pregnant, and Sue was like, "You have to tell him you can't get on that horse." And I said, "I can ride the horse." And she was like, no, I won't let you. And I was like, just, and so we did and everything was fine. But um, yeah, that's, that, that's what I remember most about that. But I also remember that um, that place that we, we filmed was like, we were, we, it was like, we'd all gone to summer camp. Uh, we had these little cottages that we stayed. We all had our own little cottage and we would get together, you know, after filming was done and we'd play poker and um, it was just we had so it was like a real uh, destination wedding, and and you know those the memories of you know and then and that was the introduction of of Dylan you know he came he rode my boat across that lake and and uh, Morgan England and it was Kimberly Sims' first day as Mindy. Oh, wow. There were a lot of firsts for for that wedding, and of course Joanne Cedric, who directed that whole uh, location, just was. Um, was a dream to work with. And she, she shot a beautiful wedding. I also remember a funny story that they, I remember seeing the prop guys, Mikey, uh, all these great prop guys that we had, Mikey and Jimmy, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but um, they were, they, they wanted, Joanne wanted daisies everywhere, you know, coming out of the, growing out of the, this forest. And so she had the prop guys out there, like planting, you know, putting fake daisies in the, out in the pasture. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, that was a great vision. Oh my God. Oh, and that was, that was real. That was, that was another uh, time when Larry Gates and I got laughing so hard one time and I had that big (laughs) wedding dress on and I, and I peed and nobody knew because I had that big (laughs) wedding dress on. (laughs) That's where lots of layers comes in handy. Exactly. So So you, uh, you left the show the following year in 1990 and Riva was presumed dead after 
driving her car off a bridge. And uh, we will actually be celebrating the 30th anniversary of her famous last words, I'm coming, bud, (laughs) uh, in just a few weeks on July 23rd. So what do you remember about filming The End of Your Run, also on location uh, in the Florida Keys? Yeah, that was that was uh, that was a good time too. But I remember they had been down there a couple days before I arrived, um, shooting the aftermath of Reva's death or of you know of the accident. And I remember when Adam Reese, our stage manager, picked me up at the hotel to drive me over to the location to do a a costume fitting. I wasn't working, but they were working and they were doing. Um, the scenes uh, where Josh, they, they did the car stunt and then they were doing the scenes where Josh is, keeps diving into the water over and over again, trying to find, you know, trying to find Reva and, you know, her body or, or whatever. And, and Harley's on the, sh- on the shore, you know, and, and I remember tur- out, we were in a Jeep with the, with the top down. And I remember um, Adam driving and I, and I, I looked across it at Adam and I said, I guess it's too late for me to change my mind now. Uh, (laughs) And he said, you're kidding, right? And I said, yes, of course I'm kidding. But God, that was just, it was like seeing that because I could see it from this bridge we were driving across. I could see them working down there and I thought, oh man, what have I done? You know, but yeah, it all, it all worked out. Yes. 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 Indeed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, uh, you were out in California then and you landed on Santa Barbara from 1992 to 1993. Uh Um, how would you describe your experience on that show? Um, that, that was difficult too. I, I of course loved working with a Martinez. Um, that was, that was a dream. And uh, of course, Nancy was there, Nancy Gron and, um, uh, Jerry Adler, who was our stage manager there, who beca- later became an actor, does uh, does tons of films now. Always wanted to be an actor, but um, when that show went off the air, he decided this is my time. I'm going to be an actor, and and I see him in, in all these movies. Um, anyway, uh, that sh- they were all, they had gotten the word that that the show was probably going to be be canceled the whole time I was there. So every month they, they went like month to month, they'd get another renewal, you know, and then another two months, two months renewal or another, okay, we've got another three months. The whole time I was there, all those actors didn't know if they were going to have a, I didn't care one way or the other, but you know, these were, it would have been like the same thing at Guiding Light, you know, after, after all those years to not know for, well, I guess we kind of went through that, but, um, after all those years, not knowing if you were going to be working in another month, you know, or if, or if that, that cushy gig was going to be gone. And so people weren't, you know, weren't really, nobody really committed to getting to know any new people on the show really, because it was all going to be over. I still managed to have a good time, but, uh, and I, and I enjoyed that commute. We were living out in Valencia, California, and I'd, I'd get in my little car and, and drive it at five thirty in the morning when no one was on. I mean, you can't say that now. No one was on the on the. I kind of went in the opposite direction in traffic in Los Angeles to go to NBC Burbank, and I loved that drive um, going over to NBC Burbank Studios and um, and going to work, and that was fun. And of course, it was Paul Roush and Pam Long again, so you know it was that was it was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, you you did return to Guiding Light in 1995, first as a ghost, then as an amnesiac Riva living in Amish country. Just can't get away from the Amish country. Uh, what 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 drew you back to the show? Well, 
several things, but but one of them was that we had that huge earthquake in Los Angeles, and I didn't like that at all. It was the uh, uh, the Northridge quake, and in nineteen when was that ninety anyway. It, that was that was a scary experience, and and I I was ready to, to I was ready to go back to work, and so I just by chance uh, uh, called and and put the seed in someone's bonnet about I guess uh, Jill Farron Phelps was the executive pr- producer then, and I called the I called my buddy at Procter and Gamble Ed Trock and who I adored he was like a, a, a father to me. Um, and I happened to mention that, that if they, if they had any indication that they, uh, inclination that they would want to have the character back, I, I, I would be open to a discussion of that. And he said, are you kidding me? Yes. He said, <laughs> you know, give me, give me a month and let, let's get this figured out. And in the meantime, I got cast in this play that was going to be done in New York, uh, four dogs and a bone. And, um, so I was in New York and that's when they said, well, why don't you come on and, and, and we'll, we'll play this story and just, you know, see what happens. It was only supposed, that was only supposed to be temporary. Thank God. I used to call her the, the ghost from hell (laughs) Oh God! or actually she was more of a, she wasn't even a ghost. She was like, I used to call her a figment of, you know, of your imagination. She, cause Mm -hmm. I don't even know what she was. I mean, who was she? I mean, you know, she'd appear tomorrow and, and so that, that, that was, that was a weird, that was a weird, <laughs> weird, weird, weird time. Um, so in that, in those regards, I, I really had no interest in coming back to the show at that point. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, and then, and then Jill, Jill, uh, left Guiding Light to go and executive produce at General Hospital. And, um, whoever came in after Jill said, we, you know, said, we want to have you back and we want to have you back as, as, the real Riva and let's figure this out. So, um, that's, that's how that happened. I'm trying to think who was the executive producer then. Maybe it was Michael Labeson. I think it was Michael Labeson. Yeah. And I, I adore him. He's, he, he became a friend too. We have the same business manager. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you were back and now let's flash forward a few years to 1998 and you're at the center of quite a groundbreaking and super controversial (laughs) storyline. When Reva was presumed dead, courtesy of Annie, and a grieving Josh had Reva cloned. Yeah. So what was your reaction to learning of the twist? And, you know, now that you look back on it, are there fond memories of clone Reva, <laughs> a.k.a. Dolly? Well, I remember when Paul Rausch called me into his office. And I, now let me back up even further. Before Paul called me into the office, I did a storyline where they had Reva freeze eggs um, just in case Josh and Revo decided they wanted to have another kid, um, later in life or, or for whatever reason, it was, that was an odd story, but we did it. Um, and then, so when Paul called me into his office, he said, we've got this story that, that we're thinking about doing with you and, and I want to run it by you. We're going to do it, but I just, I just want you to be aware. Um, and I said, what are you going to do? Clone me? <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, oh, he would get so mad when you'd second guess him. I can't believe you. How did you know that? Did, you know, how did you, what would make you think we were going to clone you? And I said, I don't know. You had me freeze some eggs. 
He said, well, yes, we are going to clone you. I was like, you're kidding me. He was like, no, but it's going to be this beautiful story, this beautiful love story. And, and, um, we're going to do it right. And I was like, uh, and I was game for it. I said, okay, who do, who, who does, who does Dolly the clone talk to to negotiate her contract? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, that, and let me, let me just say this as miserable as that storyline was for for fans, they were they were they were really angry when they when they killed her off. I mean, not everybody, but there were a lot of there were a lot of fans that came to love Dolly and 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 were upset when they killed her. And also, as hard as it was for it, it, it was a really hard storyline to do for other actors that were in scenes with with you as the clone, or in scenes with the clone and Reva, because that meant doing scenes over like you know four different times you had to do all these scenes over Uh, actually that was yeah so when they would say okay everybody involved in the clone scene come to the set you'd hear groans out of dressing room (laughs) it was like people would groan and i'd be like oh my god this is my fault (laughs) (laughs) because they had they had to be there all day too because they had to do both sides of the scenes just like i did as the as the clone so once again i love that story because again i had 90 pages of dialogue a day. It was, mm-hmm. it was challenging. And the only thing I, I didn't like about it was, was that, you know, they had to, they had to give me that stupid rapid growth serum so that I could play the role. But, um, the fact it was hard playing, you know, cause I wasn't like a twin. I, I had to be a clone who, who intellectually was like three months old. You know, (laughs) so that was difficult to, to, you know, and everybody was like, oh, don't worry about that. And I was like, but in reality, that, that is what she is. I mean, you know, she's, when did she go to school? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, realism? Is that what you were trying to bring Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And I, I, it was funny because I just saw something that was posted somewhere where they were talking about, uh, I think it's the anniversary of Lucci's final winning, winning the Emmy or something, or maybe it's because the Emmys are coming up and they were, they had this story about, um, her, you know, losing to, to Slayzak, you know, five times and Zimmer four times and blah, 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 whatever. Um, and, and then it said that, you know, they, they talked about, uh, about that being, the shows I submitted for the Emmy that year were, were Dolly dying and Reva holding her in her, in her arms as she, as she died. And, and those scenes killed me. I love those scenes. And I guess I heard later that people in the judges room were like hysterical laughing. Wow. You know, oh, really? yeah. crying. no, I'm not crying. No. They were laughing. It's, they it's were laughing. So hard when those things yeah. are seen out of context by people who don't follow the shows regularly. Exactly. Um, exactly. A shame, but you know, good for Susan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about what the the final years of Guiding Light Guiding Light were like for you. Like, what was it like for you when the show shifted its production model to taping so frequently on location in Peapack, New Jersey? Uh, you really don't want to discuss this with me, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you've not read my book. 
I've read the book. Yes. <laughs> there could be um, listeners who exactly, have not. Exactly. Um, that was a, that was a really that was a that was a heartbreaking time for me because um, I really felt like uh, it, it. I wanted I wanted them to just uh, take the show off the air. I really did because I I felt like the with the production values being so chinzy and 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 stories not being told the way they should have been told because we had time restraints and 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 weather restraints and you know shooting outside and freezing temperatures and 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 doing wardrobe changes in public bathrooms and and things that you just you know, how old was I? 45 years old and changing my clothes, being naked in a public bathroom and having people walk in, you know, I mean, it was like, I, this, this, I, this, I don't want to do this. If I, if I want to do this, I'll go do independent features, you know, for no Mm -hmm. money, no money. And I just, it was, I would, I'd sit in my dressing room and, and watch the air show because I was a fan of the show. I loved Guiding Light. And I'd sit in in my dressing room and watch the air show, and I would scream at the TV and go, "Oh my God, there's a boom! There's a boom! I can't hear these. I can't hear this actor. You know, I can't. I can't. Why are they showing? Why are they showing a bumblebee when they should be focusing on this actor's face? I mean, it was. It, it, there were so many issues that got in the way of of storytelling that um, I would scream, and and people would be like, "Just don't watch the show." And I, I'd say, I can't not watch. I'm, I just, I, I, I couldn't stop watching. I don't know why I should have just, you know, stopped watching, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Well, so when the show was ultimately canceled in 2009, you know, what were your feelings about it? And what was that last day of filming like for you? I, well, like I said, I was, I was, uh, you know, I don't want to upset anybody, but I, I was happy that, that, it was, it was done. And I did, however, love those last few days of filming that we did, um, on location. We had so much fun that day. Uh, we, Michael and Michael O'Leary and Grant Alexander, I think it was actually Grant was, was, you know, cause we went to everybody's last scene, you know, everybody traveled, to wherever they were shooting the last scene and, and they would announce the actors that were in that scene. And they'd say, you know, Kim Zimmer, 28 years on guiding light and Robert Newman, you know, 30 years on guiding light. And they would, they would tell how many years everybody had been on the show. And, um, and then Grant would, would come around with the tray and he'd have to do a shot of tequila. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Yeah. Um, And then we had a big party on, you know, after it was out there in PPAC. Um, after it was all, I mean, there were, there was, I'm not, it wasn't all bad. I mean, there were, there were, it was fun being outside and uh, mostly and, and doing, you know, uh, what, what Ellen referred to as film, you know, um, and, and there was some, there was, there's always good, good that goes along with the bad. And, um, and so I, I do have fond memories of, of our days in Peabag. Um, and I do, and I do have to say, I, I appreciate, there was a part of me that, that appreciated, um, the energy that, that Ellen focused on trying to, you know, do what she could to save the show. It was, it was just, I had been with it for so long. I, I, I knew how it was supposed to be. And it, and it, and that, that was hard for me to, to deal with that. That was never going to happen again. Um, yeah. 
Very understandably. So I, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't ready really ready to go along for that ride for much longer. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I just I just my biggest thing was that I I can't believe that they couldn't tell us on March. 30th or March 31st, they had to wait and tell us on April Fool's Day. You know, it was uh like the ultimate insult, you know? So everybody waited around all day thinking that somebody was going to say, oh, April Fool's, you know, we're not canceled. Um, And I just remember that, you know, the day that that they did announce that it was canceled, there were, some of us were in shooting in PPAC and some of us were shooting in, at the studio in, in New York and um, I just remember looking around at the crew members. That's what got me the most was knowing that I was never going to see these people again, you know, once the show went off the air and, and those people, the crew, those people are really your family. You know, those are the ones that, that go, that you go through everything with. They know, they know everything, you know, um, the makeup and hair people and the crew guys and the camera operators, the sound guys, those are, those are the ones you, you really get to know and love and, and that that's who I miss the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, the, the following year, we saw you reprise the role of Echo on, on One Life. And uh, I'm so curious what it was like to not only just return to the show, but also to work with Jerry Verdorn, who had been your fighting life <laughs> star as Ross, now playing Clint. <laughs> you know, I had totally forgotten that and, until somebody sent me a clip of... of uh, Jerry and I, I think before we did one of our Zoom things, and I was like, who is he playing? And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, he was Clint. <laughs> you know, you know, I totally forgot that it was that Jerry was playing that role. Um, you know, that was a that that those days at One Life to Live were a bit of a a bit of a fog for me. Um it, it was it was that was that was weird. That, you know, the the character was was different. Um, I was different, obviously. But the one steady that I cherished most of all was getting to work with Erica again. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we had some great stuff together. Uh, not to mention I uh, some uh, really ridiculous stuff I did with Robin Strasser. That was fun. Um, and then I had great stuff with uh, Eileen Kristen too, who who I'd never really worked with. So you know, I tried, I tried to, I tried to find, I tried to find the fun in everything. Well, as if your own career didn't keep you busy enough, you also raised a family of three children, as you mentioned, and your son Jake Weary has done very well for himself in Hollywood. Uh-huh. He played Luke on As World Turns for a time, mm-hmm. and currently stars on one of my favorite shows. TNT's Animal Kingdom. Yay! Uh, anyway, um, so were you nervous when he first showed an interest in showbiz, or were you happy that he was following in the family business? So let me just say that AC and I, my husband and I, always laugh at, at you know when we asked him. I think it was his thirteenth birthday, uh, what he wanted most for his birthday, and he said a headshot and an agent. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we kind of knew we were we were uh, uh, stuck. He, um, the other two avoided it <laughs> at all costs, but Jake, uh, Jake made movies of his own from the time he was, oh, I don't know, five years old, six years old. He got a hold of you know, video cameras and would make his own little movies. And, and it, 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 he's, it, he was good. 
he was I, we used, he he played Mercutio in a production of Romeo and Juliet at his his middle school and and was really good uh Shakespeare and I was like wow okay and so when he said it was something he was interested in it didn't you know it didn't surprise either one of us and um you know, and when and then when it, it was Alan Locker who said, "There's this role coming up on Guiding Light that that you know you should just we should you should mention it and see if you know Jake can go in and and play this little character. You know, it's a scene with you and Laura Wright, so he'd feel safe." And and I was like, "Oh no, Alan, you mention it." So <laughs> so Alan mentioned it to uh, uh, I, I uh, Rob Decina, I believe, was a casting director then. And Rob said, that's a great idea. And I said, but I, but, but he can't do it unless he, he, he goes in and auditions for it. Or AC said that one of us said that. And, um, so we made him go in and audition for it and, and he auditioned and it was like a little five, five line scene. And, and again, he was composed and he wasn't nervous and he, and he, he did the job and got it done in one take and all was good. And, and so, you know, I, I had a good feeling about about a future for him in in the business, and um, and then it, it took off from there. You know, he did a, a wonderful guest spot on Law and Order, and you know when he was just this little guy, um, and then the, the the opportunity to play Luke on on As the World, uh, World Turns came up, and and that was that was a great experience too. I mean, once again, Larkin Malloy came into play because Larkin was their their acting coach there. And, uh, he worked a lot, he worked a lot with Jake and, um, and Jake, when Larkin passed, it, it crushed Jake. Jake just had so much respect for Larkin as a teacher. So, and a coach, I should call him a coach. So, you know, and then, and then that, you know, that came to an end and, and then he, he wanted to go to a professional school of acting and, and, and back to California. We knew we were going to lose him back to California because, he was really a California kid, and so he uh, he auditioned for Californians to the Arts and got accepted and and studied. And that was where AC had taught. While the whole time we were in Los Angeles for those five years, I was off guiding light. AC was a teacher at Californians to the Arts, and mm. so Jake knew it well and and really loved the campus. And so he uh, he spent a year there and and then uh, got a film. And then one thing led to another and realized that school wasn't going to happen because he was working. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, obviously, the the daytime landscape is so different now from the heyday that you were part of. There are no shows taping in New York. That's one obvious difference. Um, But could you ever see yourself, like, considering doing a run on one of the remaining L.A.-based shows? Oh, God, absolutely. I I, Absolutely. Uh, Just pick up the phone and call me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I would, you know, I would, I would love to, to, I, I keep, what, what, somebody was saying that, that, that I should, I should be, I should go on and be uh, Phyllis's sister on Young and Restless. Who was that char- character was? Um, oh, uh, Avery? The- no, 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 no. The older one. No, the older one. She had an, she had an old, uh, older sister who was a doctor or something, I think. Long blonde. Oh, you mean Nikki's had- sister? Oh, Nikki's sister. sister. Yeah. Uh, what, what was her? Casey. Casey. Yeah. That's what it was. Nikki's sister. Yeah. Oh, that would be so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're putting it out in the universe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you miss and what do you not miss about being on daytime? 
Oh, oh well, like I said, I, I miss the camaraderie of, of, of what you get. And I, and from what I understand that doesn't exist anymore either really on the soaps because everything has to happen so fast now. Nobody really, there's no more sitting around and, and yakking, you know, because things get done so quickly. Um, but we had long hours at the studio and so we really got to know each other. You know, the makeup and hair rooms were, were just a fountain of information. You found out everything in the makeup and hair rooms. Um, but, but now, you know, <laughs> so did we. yeah, yeah. Um, so now it's just, uh, like I said, think, things happen so quickly. It's just, that's changed a lot from what I understand. I, I mean, like I said, I am set foot on a soap, a soap set in so long. They were just beginning to really change when Guiding Light went off the air. Um, so I, I miss that, that camaraderie of that family, that, that other safe haven of working, um, with the crew that, that were so respectful of the actors and vice versa. Um, I miss that. I miss that a lot. I miss, I miss reading the scripts every night and seeing, you know, what trouble Reva was going to get into again. And, um, you know, what, what new actor I was going to get to kiss and, <laughs> Um, so, so I miss that. I miss that. Uh, but I, but I don't, I don't, but then again, I don't miss, you know, commuting into Manhattan every single day and going to work and, um, or driving, driving in Los Angeles from, from a house to, to a studio. Um, I don't, I don't miss that. I I love retirement. I love being able to have the time to, or semi-retirement, whatever. I still do a lot of theater. So, you know, that's, that's where I'm at. I, I love having time with my family and my grandson. I have another grand, granddaughter on the way in, at the end of August. Max Aww. and his wife are having a baby. Congratulations. Yeah. I love going out to New Mexico for three months or for however long with, with my husband and ski and discover, you know, Taos, New Mexico. We love that. And, you know, I, 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 I'm loving life, so. I think it would be hard to go back on a steady right. basis. You're like the more I talk about it, yeah, yeah. But but you know, on a on a on a temporary basis, you know, three months yeah. here or whatever, I I would I would definitely consider that. So, well, Kim, you know, we were talking about how uh, we were excited to talk to you on the day that the daytime Emmys were being broadcast because you only have you know four of them, uh, and that's just part of your your legacy. Uh, so much great work. But when you think about the stamp that you left on the genre, what are you most proud of? Well, it was funny because again, in this in this thing I saw online with about Susan Lucci, it it referred to when it when it came back around to Erica and and Kim Zimmer, they they referred to us as legends, and I was like, wow, you know, that's you know, you get I, I they dub they they use that a lot, but. Um, the fact that that after all these years that that my name could could even remotely be be you know tied in with being a legend of a genre um, is 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 really an honor to me that 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 is a is a possibility that I could I could be a legend of this genre so that means a lot to me as I'm staring at one of my Emmys that the globe is broken off of. You know? <laughs> oh, you only the have hands. one broken one. I think you're <laughs> yeah. ahead of the game for some people. No, that's, that's the one that broke in the earthquake. in California. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the other three are still standing strong, but, but that one, <laughs> that one's hurting a little bit. So, 
No, and I'm and I'm just I'm I'm proud of the industry. I I I I just I I miss it, and I and I do still. I watch General Hospital, and I occasionally watch Bold and Beautiful. Um, you know when and I and I love turning I I love turning them on, and and I I got hooked. You know I see why why it happens to people. Um, they bec- those people become your family, and you're interested to know what happens every day to them. So it's uh, it's odd. I mean, my husband will come in and say, "What are you doing? Are you watching a soap opera?" <laughs> and I'll say, "I'm watching my friends. Look, it's Laura. It's it's Emmy. It's you know all all these people I worked with." So, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, that's amazing. Well, this was so much fun. Thank and, you. Gosh, it was so great to talk to you and catch up. Thanks, you guys. Thank you so much. Well, we definitely hope to talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Kim Zimmer for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.